Welcome to The Long Game with LZ and Leach from the Recount and ACAST, where every week we talk about the biggest stories in sports and how they impact culture, politics, and business. I'm the Michigan Wolverine fan slash Rams Super Bowl champion fan, LZ Granderson. He's Will Leach. He's not a fan of either. I'm a fan of the number 15 with a bullet, Illinois Fighting Illini, and my son's Little League teams. We have a full slate this week, LZ. First, we're going to talk about the suddenly more encouraging outlook for Major League Baseball after months of a contentious labor standoff between owners and players. LZ, just a week ago, it looked like the start of the season would be delayed significantly, but at least now the sides are talking to one another, so at least there's some hope, and this might just be me telling myself this, that it might actually begin on time? Define on time, because I think we're already missing spring training. I just want Wrigley Field and Bush Stadium to have baseball. (laughs) Then we're going to take a long look at the NBA's Western Conference since we're less than two months away from the playoffs. Well, even though it's clear that Phoenix and the Golden State Warriors and Memphis have the best shot to make the finals, I'm not letting go of my Lakers just yet, even though LeBron may end up in Cleveland. Ah, the weekend of LeBron trade demands. It's an all-star tradition. Oh, the shade. And we'll discuss America's favorite subject, (laughs) COVID-19. So glad to be back chatting about that again. And how sports will be dealing with the virus moving forward. When we see NBA Commissioner Adam Silver openly questioning the New York City vaccine mandate that's keeping Kyrie Irving from playing in home games, it does seem like the sports world is about ready to move on from the pandemic for good. I'm definitely ready to move on from Kyrie being the center of attention. I do not think that Kyrie is ready for that. Then we'll wrap up the show with our This Week in Sports History segment, this time featuring the Miracle on Ice, which happened 42 years ago today. And we'll also answer questions from you, our loyal audience. But first, LZ, let's take a minute to discuss Michigan head coach Jawan Howard getting suspended after throwing a punch at Wisconsin's assistant coach after the Wolverines lost to the Badgers on Sunday. Howard and guard are not happy right now. Players are pushing and shoving. This is an ugly scene. During the handshake line coming out, there was a disagreement after Guard put his hands on Jawan Howard and made it kind of clear that he wanted to talk to him, explain what he was thinking. Jawan Howard got very upset and then threw an open-handed, we're trying to make clear that it wasn't a punch, but it was like an open-handed slap. It feels like more than a slap. It started as a punch, and then as it got closer to the man's face, it opened up into a big slap. Yeah, caused a big thing. Howard was suspended for the rest of the regular season. He'll be back for the Big Ten tournament. And there are a couple of players who threw punches that were suspended as well. Greg Gard was not suspended, but he did get a fine. This was what everyone was talking about all weekend. So what was your take? Also, as a Michigan man, what was your take on the whole incident? First of all, Juwan Howard was, had probably the best pro career out of all the players, even though Chris Webber is in the Hall of Fame. I just said that Juwan's probably longevity and championships made him interesting. the, the, the okay. player that had the best pro career. All right. I just yeah, want to get that out there. That's a good appetizer take. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the suspension was light, to be quite honest with you. I, sus- I thought he should have been suspended the entire year, including the postseason. But not fired. No, no definitely not fired. Okay. Definitely okay. not fired. But certainly, I thought that the suspension should have lasted into the postseason. And then have him deal with all of the questions of the fallout the following year as the season ramps up, as opposed to having to deal with all these questions about the incident 
in the midst of the NCAA tournament and the Big yeah. Ten championship. Yeah, and like they're trying to get in. They're not in right now. They're clearly on the bubble right. right now. But on top of trying to get in, now he's going to be having all these questions. Now, listen, Juwan's from the south side of Chicago. I'm from the east side of Detroit. And I'm sure the part of, of town that you're from you know, Will is pretty rough and tumble as well. Yes, let's go yes. with that. There's definitely go, a lot of rough go, and tumble weeds going through my town. You don't go grabbing grown ass men after games like that. Yeah. You just don't. I'm not saying Juwan was justified in the open hand slap that happened shortly thereafter. But the incident would never have occurred if old dude didn't grab Juwan. Who grabs grown-ass men when they know they're angry? And you clearly see Howard being like, don't touch me. Like, don't, don't touch like, me. Like, don't touch me. Like, right. like, and I understand, listen, the background of the incident was basically Wisconsin was up by a lot of points. You reach the point of the game where everyone's just dribbling out the clock. Wisconsin brought in its walk-ons and backups, and yeah. Howard continued to press. Right. He and even so, had a starter out on the, on the court at that point, I believe. Yeah, and so guard called timeout. On one hand, to reset the half-court clock because he didn't right. want his walk-ons to get a half-court violation. Also, to kind of go to Howard and be like, dude, come on, the game's over. Can we move on? Well, right. that really angered Howard. Now, up to that point, I think guard is probably in the right, but also who cares? It's no big deal. Like this is like right. dumb little pissing contest between coaches. And honestly, they both were saying F you to each other. Exactly. So I, I'm saying the coaching actual decision wise, it's probably more guard in the right. Howard has not been coaching for 25 years. Guard has all these like high school rules, unwritten rules sort of thing. But Howard certainly has unwritten rules, right? I mean, this is someone who has been an assistant coach in the professional ranks for of years course, and years and years. Obviously, he has a career that includes NBA championship. He's been an all-star. Howard has his unwritten rules, too. Oh, sure. Maybe I just think these unwritten rules are dumb and guards shouldn't have made such a big deal out of them. But also, Howard probably shouldn't have made such a big deal out of the timeout being called. Right. More to the point, it's two dudes that are supposed to be coaches of college students freaking out uh, and getting really, really angry about it. So then Howard is mad. It seemed like Howard was trying to go past him and move on from it. No, he and was. guard. He says something slick, but he was trying to move on. Yeah, I think he was trying to get past it. And guard, I think, who was also angry because of the press, was trying to explain... And the fact that he kept grabbing him, guards got to know, don't. Maybe once he tried to take him aside, he's like, hey, don't touch me. And then you're like, okay, fine. Maybe we'll talk about it later. We are grown right. men in charge of a bunch of college students. I'll slide it to your DMs and we'll work it yeah, out. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a talk about it. Yeah. But the fact that he didn't do that, guard is not blameless. However, <laughs> Howard cannot throw a punch or a slap. The issue you see immediately, it's not like a player throwing a punch. When the player throws a punch, assistant coaches will get him off of there and knock it off and get him back on the bench. When a coach throws a punch, players are like, oh, we're throwing, <laughs> and, which, is <laughs> but, clearly, which is clearly what happened. And it's my understanding that reportedly Howard didn't throw the slap until the assistant coach touched his players. Okay, so yeah, yes. And, so, and, so it went yeah. from the head coach grabbing Howard multiple times to then an assistant coach grabbing Wolverine players yeah. in the midst of the melee. And, Which, it, again, and it's my bad. understanding that it was the touching of the players yeah. that Howard was basically 
get your hands off my guys. Right. Basically. Which I get, which I get. And which, listen, I, which I totally get. I definitely did not think that Howard should be fired. And I also did not think that Howard was just this out of control guy where everyone else was no. cooling their head. I actually like Jawan Howard as a coach. I generally like him as a personality. I, I definitely prefer him to Greg Gard. I would say that <laughs> as a Big Ten fan. The the thing really got out of control when right. Howard threw the punch. And that is he didn't particularly- throw a punch. Wait, sorry, sorry, but throw the slap. So throw the open hand, the open I feel hand. like we yeah, we need like specific semantics to explain exactly. It's actually worse to get slapped by a man than it is to get punched, by the way. Guard is pretty small. <laughs> like I have to say, I don't know how guard would handle a Howard punch. But more to the point, I, I don't think it's fair to say that this was all on Howard. However, he is the one that let it get out of control. And also, you know this as well as I do. Michigan is definitely the we are not coaches. We are the educators of young men <laughs> school. At least they yeah, tell yeah, themselves yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, I don't buy it either, but they All certainly right. tell themselves that. The suspension seems appropriate. I think you could probably argue it could be longer, but I also think if it went longer without guard getting anything would just exacerbate the problem. Would make it look like it was entirely Howard rather than just mostly Howard. So well, I definitely the point- thought guard should have been suspended. The fact that he was fined a very, very small amount of money tells me that either they didn't really review the incident in its entirety or they didn't see anything wrong with Howard being grabbed multiple times by the opposing head coach in what should have been a handshake line. I'm still pro handshake line. I know there's this whole kind of like, Wait, I'm not what? pro Tom. I like handshake lines. I My kids Why? do it. It's fun. During COVID, we all had to stop when I coached baseball. We had to stop and wave to each other from the other sides of the field, which was really dopey because everyone had been right in each other's faces the entire game. But then we had to stop and do that. I don't want to go a deep dive into the handshake line. Fine, fine, fine. But I will say this, my friend. The handshake line... It's supposed to represent sportsmanship or sportspersonship, if you yes. will. <laughs> but it doesn't. What represents the sportsmanship is the the, the sixty plus minutes that happened right. before the handshake line. Right, right. How you handle the conflict within the game. That to me is more representative of what the handshake line is supposed to represent. And as far as I'm concerned, the handshake line is some bullshit relic from a time that never really existed to begin with. <laughs> yeah, which is to say it represents America, actually. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm like, so. <laughs> we were never those people that the handshake line told us that we were to begin with. Yeah. The fun of an of a really great NBA playoff game, there's no handshake line, but everybody is immediately hugging each other after the game because they know what they all just went through. It's hard to explain that to an eight-year-old, but I do understand the idea that someone's like, well, Tom Izzo is teaching us sportspersonship by doing oh this line. God. I don't. Izzo? Yeah, exactly. No, again, we're here getting my my tears of Big Ten coaches that I hate. <laughs> Howard, good. Garden is oh bad to be as clear as possible. Brad Underwood, pro Brad Underwood. Go Illini. All, right. All right, LZ, let's get right to it with our first big story, the suddenly positive state of Major League Baseball. There goes Rosalina. He steals home in October. Swing and a drive. Deep left field. This is way back. Swanson, he's got it to his feet, throw to first, there it is! The Atlanta Braves are going to the World Series! 1-1 pitch, gone, a home run for Freddie Freeman in what might be his last at bat for the Atlanta Braves, he's just made it 7-0. 
Left side, Swanson to first. The Browns, hello champions! At 10.23 Central Time, Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021, the Atlanta Braves have officially overcome all obstacles that were put in front of them, and they are world champions. That was the sweet sound of baseball. Remember baseball? A sport that I am dearly missing right now, LZ. Just one week ago on this show, we analyzed the labor battle between owners and players, and we both were almost certain that those highlights from 2021 were the last ones we'd be hearing for a while. Since the owners locked out the players in early December, the work stoppage is now the second longest in Major League history, has delayed spring training, and is severely threatening the start of the regular season itself. But, haha, but just a few days ago, Major League Baseball announced that for the first time, it will be meeting with the Players Association every day to try and hammer out an agreement. And if they can do so in the next week, by February 28th, the season can start on time. What are they fighting about? Money, obviously. But the absurdity of it all, as analyst and baseball writer Joe Sheehan has pointed out, is that if the owners just accept all of the players' current proposals, which they won't, of course, overall player pay would still be less than it was in 2018 when it had reached its highest point. So no matter what, the owners have won, and they've been delaying baseball just to squeeze out every last dollar they can, even though they already earn a much larger share of the game's revenues than the players do. LZ, the path to a deal has been obvious from day one of the lockout. Do you think the owners are finally willing to make some compromises to get an agreement done? Or is this yet another smokescreen? My number one thought is this, Will. Major League Baseball owners, to me, feel as if they think the competition is the union. It's the baseball players themselves. That's their competition in their minds, or at least Hmm. the way that they seem to have been going about their business. You know, certainly for the last 20 years and definitely embarrassing so the last couple of years since the pandemic has started, they seem to think they're competing against the players. You're not. You're competing against the NFL. (laughs) You're competing against the NBA. You're competing against the NHL to a certain degree. You're competing against Squid Game. Like you're competing you're... against Craig, exactly. <laughs> like... You're competing against the Tinder Swindler. Yeah. The documentary I just finished, by the way, and I have some serious thoughts about this documentary. <laughs> serious thoughts that well, we need to we'll, get we'll into. We'll get to that. We'll save that to the end. A different point in time. <laughs> the point being is, why are you fighting within yourselves when everything around you is actually the true competition? Yeah. And the fact that you don't still understand that. The fact that you think that you're America's pastime when America passed you a long time ago is ridiculous to me. You had an opportunity to be the only game in town as this nation was coming out of the quarantine in the pandemic in the summer of 2020. And what did you do? You blew it! Yeah. (laughs) Over this exact stuff. Over Over this this exact exact same stuff. Instead of bringing baseball back on 4th of July, which is a script that writes itself. You blew it. And now, maybe because you saw that the NFL's ratings for the regular season and the postseason and the Super Bowl were through the roof, or maybe you saw social media blowing up as the NBA was celebrating its top 75 players of all time. Maybe you decided, huh, it seems as if 
The other leagues are thriving in this environment. Why are we saddled with the second longest work stoppage in our league's history? <laughs> yeah. And- I'll tell you why. Because you're not looking at this thing correctly. I think baseball needs to come to grips with the fact that the players are not the enemy. <laughs> the enemy is Squid Game, to your point. Yeah. The enemy is... Every podcast, including this one, the enemy is everything else that takes eyeballs away from your sport. And the fact that you're willingly shutting the door to allow eyeballs to wander elsewhere is just asinine and short-sighted to me. One can have arguments about whether it's this economic system is more fair or this economic system is more fair. The reason that they're not playing baseball right now is the owners. I mean, just to be as clear as possible. As Joe Sheehan wrote, if literally owners accepted everything the players wanted right now, just no more negotiation, just said, you win, we give, it's over, let's play ball tomorrow, players would still be making a lower percentage of revenue than they were in 2018. And that doesn't even account for the fact that half these owners are making just as much, if not more money from the real estate stuff they've built around the stadium that they're not even counting as part of their team revenues. I would argue that one of the things that's got us to this point, players got screwed in the last two negotiations and they don't want to get screwed this time. Frankly, they're going to get screwed no matter what. (laughs) They're going to get screwed. Even if owners accept everything the players want right now, it's still not as good a deal as the players probably deserve. However, they can save some pace. They can move forward. They, They might be able to gain a little bit of ground for the next negotiation. So we can go through this again in six years. But I think the larger issue is there are no Ted Turners. There's Steve Cohen from the Mets who really got in just because the Mets were in such a disastrous situation that they needed an owner to take on the mess of the Wilpons. <laughs> right. And they found a, one of the richest people in the world to be able to take care of it. And he wants to spin like crazy to make his team win. Other than him, there's not a Ted Turner anymore. There's not a George Steinberg anymore. There are a bunch of people who don't think of the baseball team as a team or a bit of civic pride or something, a, a competitive venture. They see it as another piece of their ongoing portfolio. You see this with the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves are about to probably not you mean sign. Cobb Fred- County Braves? Yeah, sorry, sorry, correct. The Smyrna Braves, I apologize. Smyrna Braves. The yeah, Smyrna yeah. Braves are about to go through this because... Freddie Freeman, they're about to let let the most beloved player on the team, though Acuna is better. They're about to let him go. They don't see it as a, we have to invest in the fan base and how they care about the franchise. They see the Braves as the centerpiece of their real estate investment in the battery out in Cobb County that they've already got a sweetheart deal on. My Cardinals are as guilty of this as anyone. They have this whole massive real estate package that not only has made downtown St. Louis a monstrosity, it's run out all of the local businesses that used to make downtown St. Louis thrive because it's all now owned by the Cardinals. It's all ugly and corporate and crappy, but it's part of their real estate portfolio. They're making money off of all of that, that they're not reporting to the players and not making it part of this at all. They have already won. And I think that's one of the most frustrating thing about this is they're playing this game of chicken, but the owners have already won. And so that's why I do find the fact that they are actually meeting optimistic. Owners kind of discovered in 2020 that they really made their money from the playoffs. They made their money from national television. They only played like 60 games that year, but they got a full playoffs and made a whole bunch of money. The fear was they would let April and May go. Those are games where it's cold outside. There's not a lot of ticket revenue. They'll just let that go and then put more pressure on the players who are losing game checks during that time. The fact that they are meeting, the fact that they are getting together regularly, and the fact that the players threw a very smart gambit by saying, we're not agreeing to expand postseason if we lose any games, that 
to me right there, when you realize how they're not actually that far apart on the issues, makes me think they will get it done by the February 28th deadline. That's as optimistic as I'm willing to get. The owners are screwing the players. The players aren't going to get what they want. It's still a big, ugly real estate investment. Woo! Go! Play ball! Uh, But nevertheless, (laughs) as someone that, again, loves baseball as much as I love anything in the world, I would be very, very sad if they did not start the season on time. They have until February 28th. Though, to be fair... If they take them to like March 3rd, they're not going to start canceling games. They'll figure out a way to do it. It's really baffling to me how baseball, which again, proclaims to be America's pastime, that I don't think people really say that about the sport anymore. Yeah, I don't even think people in baseball claim that in the the NFL world. But that's what it once was. And part of the reason why it had that sort of allure was because it was seen as a sport where the family can all gather and spend a day at the park and enjoy this game and enjoy being outside. And the only real aspect of that yesteryear nostalgic feeling about the sport that exists in an affordable way is with spring training. (laughs) And, you know, while they're busy trying to squeeze every last dime out of the business of baseball, what's happening to the families that have made spring training part of its tradition, (laughs) right? Spring training is where so many young people first get their true love Mm -hmm. of the sport because to actually go to a game has gotten so ridiculously expensive that people can't afford to do so. And especially now with inflation, Mm -hmm. we know that job numbers have come back, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the jobs that were lost have been found by people who are still looking for new work. So there's not as much money as people used to have. But maybe they want to hold on to spring training for their kids. Or maybe they just enjoy holding on to spring training with their parents. Because dad and, and, and daughter have always gone to spring training for the last 15 years or whatever the heck it was. I mean, when I think about these aspects of this conversation, I just wonder if baseball's thinking about it. You know, because this is how you continue to grow your sport and ensure it's a longevity by getting people to fall in love with it early. And it's not seeing the forest for the trees. It's how baseball, I think, lost its place in the sports paradigm in this country to begin with and how it continues to slip a little bit in terms of national curiosity. Once upon a time, we had these matchups that the nation cared about. And that's gone away. And I think part of the reason why it's gone away is because the business of baseball continues to choke out the love for baseball. And this is just one more example. I hope they get their shit together, man. (laughs) Well, man, you remember the energy that came at the beginning of the offseason when there was player movement and contracts. And I was wondering if Kershaw was coming back and what are the Braves going to do with Freeman? It was a lot of energy. And then it's gone. almost as soon as the energy started, they were like, eh, enough of that. Yeah. And I'm just like, why do you keep doing this? Yeah. And then they're going to get this resolved, and then they have to fix how to make sure the games don't go four and a half hours, and it's not just all 100,000 strikeouts coming in throughout the court. So lots of issues, but we'll check back next week. I'll put it this way. You think I'm upset now and sad now? Wait until <laughs> we do this show in a week, and they don't have a deal yet. Uh. Ugh. Womp, 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 womp. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's move on to our next big topic. 
the post-All-Star break NBA in the states of the Western Conference. Three by Curry. He's made over 3,000 in his Hall of Fame career, and he hits his first right there. Three outside. Three is put in by Stephen Curry. He's high as on fire from deep. That's eight of 11. That was the sound of Steph Curry going off, I mean off, during Sunday's NBA All-Star Game, knocking down a record 16 three-pointers on the way to scoring 50 points and taking home the MVP as well. Well, last week we broke down the Eastern Conference, and today I want to analyze the Western Conference, in which Curry's Golden State Warriors will certainly be figuring prominently as we head down the stretch. Right now, it looks like only three teams have a shot at winning the West. The Phoenix Suns, who have the best record in the NBA, the Warriors, who have the second best record in the NBA, and the Memphis Grizzlies, who have the third best record in the NBA, and most importantly, our hearts. However, so much hinges on health. The Suns just lost Chris Paul for quite possibly the rest of the regular season, and the Warriors are without Draymond Green, who might return in the middle of March. But if those guys don't come back healthy, that will leave the conference open and even give my Lakers a chance to sneak into the mix. Stop laughing. I can hear you laughing. Stop laughing. It's true. <laughs> it's true. That LeBron James and Anthony Davis are all at full strength would be most important, of course. Well, are we sleeping on the Suns, or is this conference more up for grabs than it appears? First off, we have to definitely make sure we talk about the Lakers in this conversation because LeBron had a pretty active All-Star weekend, to say the very least. Well, it was in Cleveland. Yeah, of course. He knows where he is. He knows what he's he doing. He knows where he is. And that kid from Akron, you. I heard he's from Akron. I heard Steph Curry was born in the Ohio area, too. That was a, another big storyline from this weekend. Yeah, you know, it's funny. The Suns, I mean, they're six and a half up. Even without Chris Paul, that's going to be a hard lead to give up. At a certain level, I wonder if there's value in Paul not having to get worn down. Hopefully, if he gets back in time. And the first round, we'll see. Maybe they're playing someone like the Lakers. I have to say, wouldn't it be funny if it all landed exactly right for the Lakers and Paul's still not back in the first round and they go through everything and the Lakers get the Chris Paulist Suns in the first right. round? I think that's like the strike zone for that. But with the Suns, even with Paul back, there's still that kind of, yeah, but they're not really going to win the whole thing, are they, right? And this is two and a half years now, right? They came on huge in the bubble. They obviously made yeah. to the finals at one point. I mean, the, the bubble, they were incredible. Yeah. It felt like this weird fluke that came out of nowhere, and they come back just even better uh, the next year and came that close to winning the finals. And here they are again, six and a half off a conference with a lot of teams that you wouldn't expect to at least give the Suns a little bit better run. I still just don't quite believe it, right? <laughs> Part of that obviously is Paul. He's never won one. He's now hurt. They made it to the finals last year, but even that, it was like, well, yeah, but the Warriors weren't there. The Lakers weren't up to full strength. But it's true. Think yeah, I know. Of course it is. Lakers weren't healthy. Denver wasn't healthy. Clippers weren't healthy. Giannis started off unhealthy at the beginning, which is mm -hmm. how they won the first game of the finals. And then yeah. Giannis realized he is healthy and he's bigger than everyone else. And they just got destroyed. <laughs> that was incredible. By the way. After that first game, we're like, wait, are the Suns going to sweep this? Because Giannis is not around at all. And then Giannis is like, oh, no, I'm fine. <laughs> and they just dominated <laughs> right, the rest exactly. of the series. Which and they just destroyed them. Yeah, it must be very cool to be able to be like that. You're like, oh, I'm fine. Never mind. I'm good. And to me, the, the story of the West is still the Warriors. We thought when Clay went down, 
and then Curry gets hurt the next year, it felt a little bit like, okay, this is probably it for the Warriors as a contender. It'll be a fun thing. It'll be fun to see Steph, but who knows how Clay's going to come back? Who knows how long Draymond will stay thin? <laughs> I love wow. Draymond, but that stretch where he struggled was when he got a little out of shape and wasn't like his full self. Yo, now dog, that he's they got not- a chicken and waffle place in Oakland, though, for real. I can see how that could happen. Oh, I, yeah, I'm not blaming it's it. Listen, good, I'm, I'm, spot, I'm not man. always keeping up the, the best myself. I get it. But certainly to see him fully engaged, to see Clay come back and to see what Steph has done this year, people have said it's a three-team race. We'll get into the Lakers in a moment. If there's a third team outside the Suns and the Warriors, is it the Grizzlies? And if so, if it's the Grizzlies, why aren't we talking about John Moran as a potential MVP of this league? Because for him to be where they are as their clear centerpiece, it kind of feels like we should be talking about it. You know, that is a great question because I have no idea why John Morant's name isn't being mentioned more, along with Embiid and Antetokounmpo. And Jokic, of course. Jokic is always And Jokic, who might be the most disrespected reigning MVP in league history. I I love that Jokic hates the All-Star game. It's one of my favorite things about Jokic. He's always terrible at the All-Star game. He doesn't know how to play. And it's really kind of amusing. He doesn't know how to play in the (laughs) All-Star game. I think that's part of the reason why he's so disrespected as an (laughs) All-Star. I think so. I actually do. It was like seeing Dennis Rodman in the All-Star game. Right, right. It's just like, like, you know he's a great player. Yeah, but not in this format at all. Is this his bag? I don't think so. (laughs) But anyway, let's start the Memphis Grizzlies. Hmm. It is the fact that John Morant the MVP candidate is not an MVP candidate in serious national conversations. It is the fact they're so young. And it's the fact that because we didn't expect them to be this good this season, that there's probably a little bit of, well, let's just wait and see and see if they're just hot versus seeing if they're actually a good team. Remember the Phoenix Suns went through the exact same thing last season. Devin Booker was not an MVP candidate despite the tremendous season he was having and his team was having. And neither was Chris Paul who parachuted onto that team and took them from being straight trash into the NBA Finals. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that no one really believed them. (laughs) even as they kept racking up wins. And now, you know, here we have the Memphis Grizzlies in the same situation. I think the real curiosity is the Golden State Warriors because even though they have the greatest shooter that has ever picked up a basketball, they have probably the second greatest shooter to ever pick up a basketball. They have the greatest utility man to play in the last 20 years or so in Draymond Green, who's going to be a Hall of Famer. This team is stacked. (laughs) But if Draymond Green isn't healthy, they aren't going to get out of the first round, depending upon who they face. That's how important Draymond Green is to this. And, you know, as we said in the introduction, and as you pointed out earlier, if Draymond comes back but is not in shape, that team is going to have a difficult time getting through, which means there is a possibility still, believe it or not, Uh for my Lakers... (laughs) To make some noise. Yeah, I, it's kind of true. And it's weird. And it's kind of true. Is, I mean, if they make it, right? If they're able, if, even, if, even able know, to get ass, in. Assuming that LeBron isn't already packing for Cleveland. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, let's talk about that. He was really all over the place this weekend, floating the idea of going back to Cleveland, the idea of leaving Los Angeles, the idea that he'll go whoever drafts Lon, Whoever uh, drafts Bronny. Yeah, LeBron James Jr., which for the one it's worth, I feel obliged to remind. I think a lot of people heard that like, oh, wow, so whoever gets the first pick is going to get him and LeBron. LeBron James Jr. is ranked 35th in that class. 
Now, you might argue it's still worth it to draft him first to get LeBron for a year at 40-41. <laughs> I don't know if I would agree with you. But the I, I, I like LeBron James, LeBron James Jr. is impressive. I always find it amazing when the son or the daughter of like a great athlete is also a great athlete. I understand why they have the genes at a certain level, but it, the amount of things that have to happen for any athlete to get to where they are are so kind of right. impossible. That's always really impressive when an athlete's able to do it. But LeBron James Jr. is not the prospect, to say the least, that <laughs> LeBron James was. He is right. not a top five lottery pick to any stretch of the imagination. Right. If his name was not LeBron James Jr., he would maybe be an end of second round pick. But now that LeBron, who I'm sure knows that, is like, hey, whoever drafts him is going to get me for a year because that's all I want to do. All of those things are about not being in Los Angeles. What do you think as a Lakers fan, as a LeBron booster, as I am, to see him kind of be like, hey, so it doesn't look like things are working out here. They didn't make any deals to the deadline I wanted to. The fact that he's floating that this weekend at a game in Cleveland. What were your thoughts on that as a Lakers fan? I thought it was typical LeBron that he's sending messages to the franchise in terms of roster construction and in terms of being willing to spend to stay up on top. And, oh, by the way, you have to spend to stay up on top. Or at least stay in the top eight. <laughs> right, you can just do. And it's my understanding, based upon the reporting, that it wasn't just simply their unwillingness to give up a first-round pick in 2027 to make the move with Houston. It was also the fact that they were a little leery of taking on more salary and increasing their luxury tax, which is just something LeBron doesn't like to get caught up with. He doesn't really care that rich people have to spend money to maintain a good team. He only cares that they do. Nor should he. They've got LeBron James. And, and nor should he. <laughs> right. But when you get into the business with LeBron James, this is part of it. Constant pressure to be excellent. And I know some people are like saying, oh, well, he just wants to go where the grass is greener. No, he wants to go where the front office understands what the assignment is. Yeah. The assignment is to stay relevant and to stay good. And that takes money in the NBA. And if you're making decisions based upon how it's going to impact the luxury tax, those aren't words that LeBron James wants to hear. Yeah. He wants to hear, what are you doing to make sure that we're staying relevant, to make sure that we're staying competitive? When Cleveland wasn't keeping his shit together, Bron started looking elsewhere. Not because he wanted an easier route to a championship, as some haters like to characterize it. It was because he was looking for a front office that was willing to put in the work in order to make sure the team stayed relevant and on top. And when he saw them trade that number eight pick for Isaiah damn Thomas, <laughs> <laughs> that was it. When they did that shit, I was like, oh, y'all trying to make sure LeBron leave. Y'all just traded Kyrie Irving for Isaiah Thomas <laughs> and that number eight pick. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> no wonder he left. Yeah. And so I'm looking at the Lakers and I'm going, okay, did Westbrook work out? No. But LeBron and AD both said before the trade deadline, we need a change. And there was no change that happened. And then you said, well, we're going to use the buyout market. When everybody they mama knows, ain't no gems in the buyout market. No gems that's going to turn around a franchise. So now you're asking LeBron at this point of his career, who's already giving you 30 at 52% shooting to elevate his game. <laughs> Even yeah. more 
to get this squad into the postseason and who knows, make some noise if they have AD. And LeBron is sitting back going, wait a minute, bro. <laughs> you didn't make a move at the trade deadline to help me do those things. We've already got enough of a sample size here to see that the way that we're currently constructed is not going to win. And you didn't find a sense of urgency at the trade deadline to make a move. And I personally thought that the Christian Wood and John Wall trade with Houston in exchange for maybe THT and Westbrook would have been okay. Would have been a really nice boost. I think the way that... better fit. I don't think it's any question. Well, the way that John Wall approaches the point guard position is more in line to what LeBron may need as opposed to Westbrook, who's really more of a short shooting guard than he's ever been a true traditional point guard to begin with. Whereas John Wall is more of a traditional point guard. He understands how to give guys the ball in positions where they can be successful a lot more than Westbrook has demonstrated over his Hall of Fame career. And then Christian Wood is just a big man who can knock down threes, score on his own, and, oh, by the way, give you a little bit of insurance in the event that AD's in street clothes once again. Yeah, which he is. They didn't make that move. Right. And now they said, Bron, make it work with what we got. Bron spent the All-Star weekend, Will, saying, oh, (laughs) fuck this shit. Yeah. And now we're going to see what the offseason brings because I don't think they'll be playing in June. I just hope the Knicks are scouting Bronny Jr. That's all I'm asking for. (laughs) I'll take whatever I can get. Okay, LZ, let's take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to talk about the one thing that no one wants to talk about anymore. The dunk contest? <laughs> we are not. It's like it's like Bruno. We're not talking about the dunk contest. <laughs> and we're not talking about Bruno. No, we're going to talk about the pandemic. Is it finally over? We'll break it down next. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. All right, LZ, we're back. This law in New York, the, the oddity of it to me is that it only applies to home players. I mean, I think if, we're, if, if, if ultimately that rule is about protecting people who are in the arena, it just doesn't quite make sense to me that an away player who's unvaccinated can play in Barclays, but the home player can't. So I, I, to me, that's a reason they should take a look at that ordinance. I can imagine a scenario where Brooklyn, were, as, as part of New York City, um, with a new mayor now who wasn't in place, Eric Adams, when that original ordinance was put in place, I could see him deciding to change along the way and say it's no longer necessary to have a mandatory vaccination requirement. As I said, particularly one that only affects home players. That was NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, who, for the first time last week, questioned New York City's vaccine mandate, which requires that any employee of a local business participating in public indoor activities show proof of vaccination. 
The order has kept Brooklyn Nets star point guard Kyrie Irving, who is quite famously unvaccinated, from playing at home all season. LZ, I think it's significant when a respected figure like Adam Silver, who has worked very hard the last couple of years, keeping the NBA going while also trying to ensure player and fan safety, is willing to cast doubt on a confusing mandate that few people challenged when Omicron was surging. But now that cases are dropping significantly, and there clearly is a desire from much of the population, myself included, to be honest, to live with fewer restrictions, it seems like we are reaching a tipping point of sorts. LZ, sports often leads the way in times of social crisis. Will it show us how to live with an endemic COVID? You know, it's an interesting conversation because while no one wants to be the league that is behind the eight ball in terms of where the culture is with this conversation, no one also wants to be the league that is the poster child for an outbreak that takes a serious turn either because an unvaccinated person gets ill a lot more than we're comfortable with, or their careers are impacted because of contracting COVID, or there's a new variant that is introduced that proves to be deadlier than the Delta variant that gripped us last summer. I would say that the biggest issue I have right now is that instead of pushing toward what is clearly a new normal in global society, there is this desire to want to go back to the way things were. Hmm. And I don't think decisions, whether they're regards to sports leagues or any other business in American society, should be made under the guise of going back to the way things used to be. Because if you're making decisions to get back, then you're making decisions in futilities. Right. Like people have changed. People have changed. Yeah. The culture has changed. And this is a new normal. And so I would like to see decisions and conversations being had, recognizing where we are today. Because I don't know about you, Will, but I don't foresee us seeing a locker room full of reporters and athletes anymore. Yeah. I think the NBA is actually even being a little explicit about that. Yeah. If we're not going to be back to normal, then we need to decide what we're going to. You don't get to say, let's get back to normal, but oh, by the way, this one thing we've always done, we can't do it anymore because of COVID. Yeah. That's not back to normal. <laughs> That's just making rules that have nothing to do with COVID that you've just decided exactly, to do. Like exactly. Right, right, right. Exactly. So I would like to go to concerts without a, a mask on. I certainly want to sit in the media row without my mask on. I don't know. Did you wear your mask at the Super Bowl, Will? I wore it while between the concourse and back to my seat, but took it off when I got on my seat. I didn't know when to put it on and when to take yeah. it off. I'll be honest. It was just a matter of why I'm moving and I run into someone that might think that I wasn't being appropriately uh, restrictive. Exactly. That was when I wore my mask. I, I would even have a beverage next to me just to be like, oh, no, no, I'm drinking a beverage. Otherwise, I would go. Oh, <laughs> I'd be totally masked, but I'm drinking a beverage. I actually feel like this is a good question to ask about Kyrie. At a certain level, when it comes to Kyrie Irving, I think what Silver's saying makes a certain amount of sense. Other than just being punitive, to just being like, you didn't get vaccinated, so you don't get to play. Which, listen, right. viscerally, I get. We went this with Djokovic when he upset a whole country slash continent over his inability to get a shot that my children get. But I also don't think that 
anyone is in any danger or the spread is in any danger of increasing by Kyrie Irving playing basketball or by Djokovic playing tennis. That's not really the place that we are right now. And particularly when it comes to Kyrie, there's certainly an idea of if Kyrie's allowed to play, there will be a sense that he got away with it. And I understand that. But also like, who cares? Do we care about making Kyrie Irving eat it for not getting the shot that we all think he should have got? Or do we care about keeping people safe and at a point where things are in a much better situation as they clearly are loosening restrictions and maybe not having this kind of security theater. Kyrie is still getting tested. Vaccine players are not getting tested in the NBA. You could reasonably say that it is safer to have Kyrie Irving on the court right now, who after all is continually getting tested. And therefore we know generally when he's on the court that he's not spreading the virus, than it is to have a vaccine player on the court. I wish he'd just get a vaccine and solve us all this trouble. But it really is starting to feel just like, hey, Kyrie, suck it. We're not letting you play because we want to set a good example. Because clearly people's minds are getting changed about taking the vaccine by professional athletes and celebrities. That's happening. I'm kind of coming to the point where I feel like Kyrie should be maybe be able to play all the time now and Djokovic should be able to play now and I don't does it make me happy because I'm irritated by both those guys but also I'm not sure exactly what it's accomplishing right now I think that what you're seeing is really a question of public safety versus hateration and in the words of the great Mary J. Blige there should not be any hateration in this dancery (laughs) people want him to pay at this point they want him to pay They want him to suffer consequences for not following the protocols, for not following the quote-unquote rules, for not getting vaccinated. And while it might be fun to clown him for some of his press conferences and clown him for quite possibly destroying the Nets franchise, (laughs) I don't think you should punish him for not getting vaccinated if it's not based upon the science, if it's not based upon health and safety. And the same thing goes to Djokovic. Djokovic lost an opportunity to make history. He lost an opportunity to add to his impressive resume. And he certainly has lost a lot of fans in terms of appreciating what he's been able to accomplish. But saying that he can't play at Indian Wells next month or quite possibly the U.S. Open later in the summer, I need to understand the science behind that. Yeah. Not that I'm doing my own research. I'm not saying that. (laughs) I just want the CDC to explain. I want the Dr. Fauci's or the Biden administration. I want the tournament directors and the commissioners of leagues to explain why these rules are in place. Not so that we can look for gotcha moments or weaknesses in their thinking, but rather so that we can be more educated on this entire process. So that if we are going to criticize Kyrie Irving for his decisions or Djokovic for his decisions or Bradley Bill or whatever athlete that chose not to get vaccinated and quite possibly save their own lives. Yes, um, yes. Don't forget that. You know, and the lives of the people that love them. And the, and that the people that lost one and loved ones. Exactly. And the teammates and everyone else. Like, yeah. like whatever. I just want to understand the, the rationale behind it so that it doesn't look as if it's just you trying to punish them for a decision that they made as opposed to protecting the safety, which is the reason why we were encouraged to get vaccinations in the first place. I want to see him play, dog. He's one of yeah, the best basketball players in the yeah, league. Yeah, he's really good. It'd be fun he's to see really him play. He's really good. He's really yeah. fun. He ain't nothing but a walking bucket. Yes. If you still got your rules in place, you probably should explain mm-hmm. to the public why. Yep. 
Could not agree more. What's the go? What is the go? Okay, Will, it's time for This Week in Sports History, where we break down an event from the past through the lens of 2022. Will gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Silk. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! You just heard Al Michaels describing the miracle on ice, one of the most famous calls in sports history, when the inexperienced U.S. men's hockey team defeated the overwhelming favorite, the Soviet Union, in one of the greatest upsets ever at the Winter Olympic Games in Lake Placid 42 years ago. Exactly. But if this game happened today, in our current era of polarized politics, where the members of the Republican Party are actually showing support for Russian President Vladimir Putin and his expected invasion of the Ukraine, I think the response from the Americans would be far less unified. What's changed, Will? The Winter Olympics ended, by the way. Did you notice? I, I, I totally like, missed the whole thing. You know what? I saw something about that. I thought the ratings were as bad as they've ever been, and I can anecdotally vouch for that. I really don't know a lot of people <laughs> that watched it. But I remember last year during the Summer Olympics, the craziest thing was happening where uh, the U.S. women's soccer team, they did not play as well at the last Olympics as I think they were expecting to. And every time that they would either lose or have an unexpected tie or not play as well as they thought... Fox News, the station that's for America, would go out and say, oh, well, these people playing for America in the Olympics were somehow not American enough to win. It reminded me a little bit of when people use the question, Obama's patriotism, and his response right. was, I don't know. I'm the president of the United States. <laughs> I feel like maybe I'm a little bit patriotic. And maybe. <laughs> just a little maybe bit. Maybe America's my jam. Yeah, I don't like know. I kind of like, I might like America a little bit based on the fact know. that I'm the fucking president. <laughs> and I do think, however, that how divided this country is right now, not in small part from a lot of things that Putin has actually been planting for a while to make sure that they're divisive, not just here, but in really many countries across the planet. One of the reasons that the Miracle on Ice was so universal is it was not only an upset, it was against the enemy. It was against uh, a country that we were not having an actual war with, but in every other way it felt like we were, right? right? Like they, there were not actual bodies being sacrificed, but it was a Cold War. They were the enemy. We had to defeat them. And it had been like that from who's going to get to the moon first to who's going to win this hockey game to Ivan Drago and Rocky Balboa fighting each other four years later. Like clearly these things were all wrapped up in that kind of conflict. Now... We are in such conflict with ourselves that the idea that the women's national team is playing for America in the Olympics and a large percentage of Americans are rooting against them. <laughs> that feels weird. <laughs> that feels totally strange. If we were playing Russia in something now, like uh, who knows, Russia might make the World Cup. If the U.S. plays <laughs> Russia, who exactly is Tucker Carlson going to be rooting for in that situation? It's very, very bizarre. And listen, I get that a lot of our Old school notions of patriotism came with their own problems and came with their you own think? issues and came with their own blind spots. There's no question about that. But certainly the idea that the one thing that we're supposed to be able to get on the side of is we're rooting for our people in the Olympics. We're rooting for our people in the World Cup. If this situation happens now, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure we are. I think you're sure. You just don't want to say it because it feels awful to say it. 
But there, I mean, if there was a miracle on ice, you know, depending upon who the American players were yeah. and what they have tweeted, what they've posted on Instagram, mm-hmm. who they have supported either, you know, in some other form of social media or traditional media would dictate who cheers for them. If there was a international football game and Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback for America, <laughs> I'm not sure if all Americans would be cheering for Aaron Rodgers to be successful. I would argue that America's been full of shit in this space for a long time anyway. <laughs> yes. We're just I more mean, aware of it. Yeah, yeah we're talking I mean, about Jesse more. Owens had to end up racing against horses because after he went to Hitler's Germany and defeated the Nazis on behalf of America, <laughs> America wouldn't give him a damn job. Yeah. And he ended up racing horses. When he got back, he wasn't even invited to the White House. Hmm. Brett Musburger, that's his name, right? The broadcaster? Yeah. He called the brothers in 1968 black stormtroopers for protesting racism. And he's yet to apologize, by the way. I don't recall him apologizing for that. Not even in the midst of our racial reckoning. (laughs) So in a lot of ways, America has been full of shit in this space. Anyway, when it comes to this ideal of rallying around fellow Americans under the guise of unified patriotism when facing the world. This is something that I think some good can come out of. You know, Weston McKinney is one of the best players on the U.S. men's national team. They were going to the World Cup this year. And he gave this interview last year where he's basically talking about, so I want to play in the World Cup, but I want to play for my country. But I'm also a black man in this country. And I know what it means to stand up there when the national anthem is playing. I know how I've been treated in this country. There are times I don't feel like an American and I don't really feel like proud of playing for America. That is just not the way anyone, certainly not on the hockey team, was talking about in 1980. And I think that that is another way that this clearly is different. Wes McKinney is a great player for a a U.S. national team that's getting better, is going to qualify, is going to do very well. And I worry that he is going to become a figure that is targeted by Fox News, by Republicans as insufficiently American. So when you hear people say, well, in 1980, we could all unite around this. Let's talk about why we're not uniting right now. It's not just because, as Tom Izzo might argue, that we're not all getting together in the handshake lines and working this stuff out. There's a lot of bad actors that are uh, weaponizing athlete empowerment against those athletes and trying to whip them up for their own culture war gains. By the way, all those hockey players all turned out to be Trump people, by the way. Remember, like, like they all introduced him at a rally when he was running in 2020. So let's not forget that either. There's a, a certain willful blindness when people like to look at the past and imagine things being clear and clean and like, right. oh, back in the day, we all united. Well, yeah, certainly the people that mm. we all heard were united over this hockey team. But I suspect even then we were probably more divided than perhaps we came across. Oh, God, of course we were. Yeah. I mean, 1980? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, the very fringes of the crack epidemic yeah. and mass incarceration. Yeah. Yeah. We were fractured back then, too. The hockey team won. So we were united. But hey, the hockey team won. So, so we, yay, we're we, unified. We, we were united. Please tune in for later uh, this week at Sports History Moments where we shit on other things that you loved growing up and let you know <laughs> how fake and wrong that they were. My old running joke when I did the radio show back in the day for ESPN 
would be like happy days. Yes, but for whom? Yes, for whom? <laughs> for for you only temporarily. <laughs> and in the end, the sun blows us all to bits. Okay, LZ, let's move on to our listener questions, which Megan, one of our producers, has been compiling during the show. Megan, we miss you. Thank you for coming back and speaking to us. Hello. Nice to see you. Is that a halo in your head? No, it's my headphones. She is an angel. (laughs) Okay, before we get to questions, though, we actually have a recent update from our favorite hate-to-love-him, hate-to-like-him quarterback. While we were streaming, Mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers was once again on the Pat McAfee show, oh, and yeah. he gave a little update. So we're going to play a out for you, and then we'll come back and talk about it afterwards. So we're going to hop to that and be right Great. back. Here we go. Ooh, excellent. Yeah, let me just put this disclaimer out right away for the the, uh, the few people watching that are tuning in just for a specific uh, maybe news or decision. There will be no news today, no decision on, on my future. Uh, as I was texting with you yesterday, I just got out of a 12-day Panchakarma. Uh, look that up. Uh, I know you did after we talked, uh, <laughs> but it's a cleanse that you know originated in India. It's been going on for thousands of years, and it's something I've done in the off season. So I'm just getting my head above above the sand now. Okay. So are you saying the update is that he's no longer full of shit? Is that he's like literally less full of shit? It sounds like. <laughs> so we're just gonna toss it. What do you think that Aaron Rodgers' future in the NFL might look like? And also, I don't know if you watched any of his uh, action over the weekend. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but floor is yours. I will say he's definitely starting to act more and more like a celebrity on Instagram. Like lots of <laughs> word salad. I have to say everything that, that Aaron Rodgers does now makes me feel that much stupider for thinking that he was the smart quarterback. <laughs> like he's smart and therefore he thinks he is smarter than he is. I read that Instagram caption, and it's just like, what are you even talking about, man? It felt a Maybe little Sarah Palin. It felt Sarah Palin-y word salady a little bit in a way that, uh, as a writer, I must step out against. Listen, one, congratulations on winning your fourth MVP. That's absolutely incredible. Back-to-back MVPs, absolutely remarkable. If I was starting a franchise today. His name will certainly still be on it in terms of QBs I would want to build around. I don't want my dislike of what he's revealed himself to be to cloud my vision of the fact that he is still one of the top three quarterbacks in the history of this game. You know, and certainly from a talent perspective, you can make an argument that he is the top quarterback of this game from a talent perspective, not an accomplishment, but Mm -hmm. a talent perspective. But with that being said, (laughs) I'm kind of over the shtick. Yeah. You know, I'm over the... I'm popping on Pat McAfee and saying controversial things or trying to spread information no one else has access to but me or no one understands the real Aaron Rodgers and I'm under attack by the woke mob. Like, I'm kind of over that shtick. Yeah, me too. I just wish him well. I hope he finds somebody to marry because he keeps getting engaged (laughs) and then, you know. If if, if he and Shailene can't make it, what hope is there for the rest of us? I don't know if we have another question after this, but my one last request. Pat McAfee might not necessarily be to my personal speed, but like, is there a sleeve shortage? Are there are they running out of sleeves? Dog, it would be different if he was like cut. Yeah, but it's like, like spaghetti. Totally. It would it's be like awesome. Spaghetti. It's like like wet lasagna noodles coming out of like a short sleeve shirt. Just kind yeah. of like there's a reason I don't wear basketball jerseys, right? 
I mean, he's on camera. You don't have to have a perfect Room Raider shot, but sleeves don't hurt. Pro sleeves. <laughs> the funny thing is that you can tell from his hair and his facial hair, he clearly cares about grooming the way he looks. So the sleeve is definitely on purpose. It's, yeah, he thinks yeah. this looks good. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, though. I feel like the sleevers give the illusion of, oh, no, you're just catching me in my natural environment. Exactly. When really you've. Yes. Are completely manicured from head to toe. Exactly. exactly. Good on you and good on Aaron Rodgers for being <laughs> a great quarterback. And I'm a little over this up to the minute update on what sort of ridiculousness Aaron Rodgers is talking about today. On the Sleeveless Man show. Yes. Next question. Do we have any more questions? Yes, we do. Okay, this one comes from On the Mark 47. Is the Jazz Zion comparison comparable to the Greg Oden Kevin Durant conversation? Ooh. It's too, I feel like it's too early. It's too It's, it's not too early. Yeah, oh, I don't no, know. it's not. I don't know. I don't no, know. it's not. Cuz I feel bad honestly like Greg Oden didn't do anything wrong. He just got hurt, right? His body bailed on him a little bit. We've seen more from Zion in the NBA than we saw from Odin, even when he was healthy. I think we've seen what Zion could do. There are arguments about his conditioning and whether that's something that he's going to have to work on. It still seems too early because I, I think Ja clearly would be the person you would pick right now just because he looks transcendent. But there was a debate between Katie and Odin. There was not a debate between Ja and Zion. There was not a debate between Ja and Zion. That is true. Just like there really wasn't much of a debate between Sam Bowie and Michael Jordan. When you go back and you look at the way that that was covered, because big men were a premium Mm -hmm. then, and Jordan was a guard. And oh, by the way, Portland had Clyde Drexler, so you understood the rationale. Now, of course, in retrospect, they should have moved Clyde's ass to the three, made Jordan the two, and they'd probably still be winning chips. But that's a conversation (laughs) for another day. Ja Morant won Rookie of the Year because Zion wasn't healthy. And if Zion had played a minimum amount of games required to be considered, he would have been Rookie of the Year. In retrospect, Zion ascendance to assumed to be the best rookie of that class was premature. Even if Zion was healthy, there's still so much about his game that is undeveloped. And there's still so much about John Morant's game that is unbelievable. Ja is just that good. And Zion is just that incomplete. And I think that to me is the real conversation. It isn't about necessarily his fitness or his health, because I'm going to assume he's still young enough to turn those things around. But the reason why Ja Morant has become that dude is because from a basketball skill set perspective, he's become that dude. He is that dude. And Zion's game hasn't caught up. He's powerful and he's athletic, but from a skill set perspective, he's not where Jai is. And so I don't know, to your point, Will, if it's apples to apples in terms of KD and Greg Oden, but certainly at this point, if you're the New Orleans Pelicans or any team that was thinking about taking Zion number one overall, seeing what Jai has become, is way more intriguing to me than seeing what Zion didn't blossom into. Right, right. And could still. People were excited <laughs> about Ja, but like people didn't know this. <laughs> I mean, right. Ja has done something that it's really just kind of incredible. So I hope Zion gets it back together and uh, just in time to go join the Knicks. 
with LeBron and Bronny James. <laughs> That's oh, that why. sounds like a super team. That if I is ever heard uh, of one. this is what I've been reduced to. LZ. Yes, <laughs> I'm so desperate for Hoping anything. For a 40 year old LeBron and I'm a betting on Zion, Zion. <laughs> uh, Manuel quickly, LeBron James Jr. and LeBron. Ah, oh, man. Uh, anyway, good for that. Come on, who wants to be in Memphis? Come to New York. And that's our show for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcast. Next week, we'll be live on Twitch on Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash the recount. That's twitch.tv slash the recount for a breakdown of the biggest stories in sports. So join us then. The Long Game is produced by Pierre Bienname, Megan Burney, Roz Guevara, Mark Levine, and Marshall Eisen. Music is by Gloria Tales. Sound design is by David Wilson. We'll be back with another podcast next Wednesday. And hopefully by then, more good news on baseball. <laughs>